Tony Damien. And I'm Andrew Rich. And welcome to another edition of Himalayan Bites. Today we are very lucky to be joined by Maria Lektakis, the Chairman Asia Pack of Morris Adali, who are, of course, a leading global consultancy specialising in shareholder engagement and corporate governance. But to me, Maria, you will always be the vote whisperer. Um, I fondly recall all the great work you've done on some uh, hard-fought vote campaigns that we've worked on together over the years. So thank you very much That's for joining very us. very kind, Tony. Thank you so much. And I'm most happy about my coffee and being invited for a chat. Thank you too. Andrew. Well, it's great to have you here. I'm going to cut right to the chase of it. If you're, an, if you're a, a firm, a company who is confronting an important vote, whether it's a, an M&A situation or something else, an activist, uh, apart from hiring Moro Sadali, what should that company be thinking about? Well, that's a really good question. And to me, it's so important to focus on sticking to getting the basics right. And what we find is that companies spend an extraordinary amount of time focusing on the transaction material, which is very important. But at the end of the day, the transaction to succeed, it needs to be supported by its owners who are the shareholders. And they are a very diverse group. So really doing that work early, being able to understand who your investors are, how they think about the transaction, how they're likely to behave, and also gathering as much intelligence and data as possible is absolutely essential. Because as no surprise to you, Tony and Andrew, the investors you start with on day one are not necessarily the ones you end with. And so sometimes boards can have a level of comfort and confidence in their register because they've known them for a while, but it changes quite radically over the duration of the transaction. So you've got a lot of merger up funds coming in and others uh, who might be looking to spoil the party. And so it's really important to do that work, that research work and, and really understanding the register. And what's some of the, the good, the bad and the ugly that you're seeing in the space? Well, I, I don't think we need to focus on the good, right? That's a recommended deal that gets through without much uh, uh, challenge. The fact is that I haven't seen many of those around in a long time. And, uh, you know, schemes became quite popular. You can remember better than me probably 15, 20 years ago. But in the last 10 or 15 years, I can't say that I, I know of any scheme that sort of reached completion without some level of, of challenge, contest, or, or obstacles. And they could be from existing shareholders to um, counterbidders or, or, or other uh, pressure. Indeed. So going to the bad, bad is having some of that, maybe having negative proxy advisor recommendations, but still being able to succeed in the end. Ugly is um, not actually completing the deal and the reputation of the board of management taking a big hit. So that's probably the ugly, and I think we've seen some of that recently too. Yeah, indeed we have, and uh, you've been doing this a long time. What are some of the changes that you've, you've seen? Yeah, uh, actually the changes for me um, were most apparent just following the GFC, and I think that was a real catalyst in shaking up um, the way the market, particularly asset managers and owners, behave. And if you remember in the past, you know, we tend to talk about superannuation funds and index funds as passive investors. That's actually a real misnomer because at the end of the day, um, they're not going to sell out. So they're there on the register and they're extraordinarily active in engaging in voting. And so although they're not trading, 
they're actually very active. And so getting to know them really well and what they're thinking during a transaction is very important. Um, another thing we've observed is in the past, the board was revered. So if a, directors, a board of directors made a recommendation, it was unusual to have that challenged. I think uh, the new game hunting is how many director scalps you can gather. It's completely changed. So you find active fund managers, and we, we had the experience, what, eight or nine years ago with Rock Oil and some of that agitation with active fund managers prepared to challenge a board, to, to requisition a meeting, to put resolutions up. Uh, they're very happy to go on the public record now. That's a new thing to, to voice, that they're unhappy with the transaction. And that's really stressful for, for a company going through a transaction. And I think the other thing we've seen is um, even smaller investors banding together and if, if they're really passionate about the company and, and what's happening, uh, they're banding together and actually making their voice heard. So really challenging that headcount test. And we've seen quite a bit of that in the last few transactions too, like Newmap and uh, Netcom and ResApp and, and a few others. Director Scalps, scary yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Marie, one of the most significant changes I've seen in my 20, 25 years of doing public M&A is just the increased use of social media and other modern forms of, of communication. Um, what's your advice to clients in terms of the use of those mediums ahead of a shareholder vote? Well, I think as far as a company goes, it's a very risky um, endeavour to try and promote a transaction through social media because you can control the message going out, but you can't control uh, the response. And I think what we, we've seen um, companies doing extremely well is using their, their websites to get a message out and other mechanisms like email um, and other channels their existing shareholders are familiar with to communicate with them. But when you think about social media like Facebook or Twitter and others, uh, it, you know, you, you've, you're opening yourself up to, to risk and as you well know, um, a shareholder or, or, or an outsider can say almost anything they like but a company's very restrained and contained in what they're able to say in response. And so, uh, you know, I'd be mindful of that. But we have seen more of it. I think we see a lot in terms of passionate, um, smaller shareholders using hot copper in a big way. Um, uh, but companies generally tend to use their website and activists, some of them are using Twitter and Facebook. And, and that's, that's been interesting. So GetUp in particular um, uses uh, social media in that, in that way. The other big development which you touched on a little earlier on is the increase of shareholder activism in this market. It's undeniable that it's here and it's here to stay. What do you put that down to? Good question. Well, at the end of the day, um, both uh, asset managers and owners are looking to deliver sustainable returns over the long term. And so any performance of the company that fails to deliver a sustainable strategy and build shareholder value over the long term, given all the internal and external pressures, uh, it, it is something that investors are now actively engaging in and really holding the board to account. So in the past, and, and let me say, you know, for a company, a polite conversation with a shareholder or a proxy advisor does not mean they have their support. It just means it's a polite conversation. <laughs> But um, we're finding in particular the so-called passive funds, but also the active funds, because they've got to demonstrate performance to a lot of these, uh, for example, sustainability or ESG um, measures, 
it's very important for them to be speaking to to the board and management and being able to manage risk to ensure that um, you know shareholder wealth is protected and is is delivering. So that's what we see a lot of the activism down to. You think about not just governance now, but um, social aspects and climate related or nature related aspects becoming hot topics. Yes, but very, very um, consistent with what we're seeing out yes. there in the market. If I could just change tack for a little bit sure. uh, and move over to executive remuneration, uh, always a hot topic and a, a tough area at the moment. Um, what's your advice to companies going into a, a remuneration discussion at an AGM? Uh, what are you seeing out there on the executive remuneration front? Yeah, always uh, interesting when you raise the topic of executive remuneration. Again, the real trigger point was 2011 when the two strikes rule came in and uh, boy, not uh, a real uh, friend for, for shareholders but not for boards, right? Um, at the end of the day, it all comes down to pay for performance. And so what we're finding, and that, that's that's basically the baseline for investors, their expectation is that when incentives are paid, be they short-term or long-term, it's because the management team has outperformed rather than just done their day job. And that's one area you'll find proxy advisors really trying to interrogate. So things that we saw in the last AGM season, and we put out a season review a few months ago that's got a lot more information in it. Which is a very good document. I'm going to jump in there. I've seen it. It is okay. a fantastic document. But, but things like, for example, one-off um, payments to investors, even for retention reasons, there's got to be very robust articulation of why, especially if it's cash and there's no you know, performance connected to it. Um, when you're looking at... Um, the inclusion, which is now a focus of um, a lot of the market on, let's have some non-financial measures in pay. So these are things that are not as tangible as financial measures. And if the disclosure, and this is where proxy advisors and investors are very focused, if there's not adequate disclosure, but there's a big payout on, on STI, then, well, I can't link the performance to, to your incentive. And so, um, that really, I think we had last year 24 strikes. In the past five years, there's been 20 a year consistently. The year prior was 26, but a lot of it has, has to do with things like one-off um, grants. It's got to do with um, opaque or inadequate disclosure of, of targets and measures. It's got to do with the board exercising its discretion upward without there really being, again, sufficient um, disclosure for a shareholder to say, I get that. At the end of the day, they want the payout to the CEO or the executive team to match their experience. So if their experience is poor, but the management team gets a good payout, it's like, well, that doesn't sort of gel. And that, that is an ongoing issue for boards to really be thinking about how do I, uh, it, it, what, what does my disclosure look like? Will it satisfy the expectations of my investors? So it's not about, um, uh, bowing to them, but really understanding that ultimately they're the owners and they need sufficient information to be comfortable that uh, the right uh, uh, measures are in place to be driving performance over the long term. It's a tough area. It's a tough area, Maria. Lots of great insights today, uh, lots of wisdom and experiences, very evident to, to anyone watching this. To, to wrap up, though, a final question. You've done so many of these campaigns. What is uh, the most interesting thing, the funniest thing, the strangest thing you've seen in one of these campaigns? It's been a lot. We've talked about a few of them. Um, 
going back to that point about getting the basics right, a lot of uh, companies and even investors assume that the process of voting is relatively straightforward. It's not. Um, there are so many layers in the system and you tend to find that even for some directors trying to exercise their own vote uh, based on the broker they're with or the platform can be extraordinarily difficult. And so never assume or leave voting to the last minute because sometimes there are challenges. One um, interesting story was a few years back we were acting for a company. Um, it had uh, its largest shareholder growing its stake wanting representation, not agreeing with the strategy. Uh, that resulted in a requisitioning um, a meeting or a number of meetings to try and get board representation. And I think this was their third, their third try. Um, they had some other friends on the register, but they really, it would be their vote that would, would, would win them uh, some, some board nominees. And so we'd done our calcs and based on their shareholding or the shareholding of, 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 of you know, the, the shareholder and their friends, they would have won that meeting. But lo and behold, <laughs> uh, one of the shareholders didn't exercise the vote for all of their holding and, and, and they didn't know. So even if you give an instruction, don't assume that, you know, a vote has been validly processed. And so, um, you know, it was funny the, the, the meeting um, was taking place, the shareholders really happy thinking, hey, we've won now, we're going to step in. And then at the end of the meeting, you could see the faces drop, what's happened to you because they didn't, they, they lost as a result of actually not voting uh, all, all their positions. And so that was, um, I think, a little lesson about never assume that, you know, a vote is, is, is in. You really need to check every step, every process, get a confirmation. So that was uh, yeah, one of many stories and others is uh, you know, shareholders writing very interesting and funny things on proxy forms if they're unhappy with anyone at the company or you know sending in reply paid envelopes without anything in there, just wanting to get the shareholder company to pay the postage because they've you know, got a bee in their bonnet. <laughs> <laughs> Make you pay the postage for well, there you go. Maria, thank you so much for your You're time welcome. today. Thank what you, wise insights, uh, a veteran of so many campaigns, the vote whisperer, Maria Lefkowitz. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Maria. I'll enjoy the rest of my coffee now. <laughs>